Thanks for tuning in to Access Utah. Uh, before we jump into our discussion of the future of the library, uh, today's subject, I want to uh, do some unfinished business from yesterday's uh, subject, which of course was the Utah Public Lands Initiative and related topics, including a proposed Bears Ears National Monument. We heard from many uh, people on this issue, including Congressman Bishop and Chaffetz, uh, represented from uh, Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance, representatives from the uh, Bears Ears Intertribal Coalition, and we heard from many of you. Thank you for that. Keep those uh, comments coming at upr.org and upraccess at gmail.com. But a couple of uh, comments come in after the program yesterday. This one is a follow-up from Cliff Kuntz, who is Executive Director of Ride With Respect in Moab. He says, Mr. Williams, thanks for reading my lengthy comment on air yesterday. In response, the SUA attorney claimed that my defense of the PLI discussion draft is because it would secure RS-2477 title to OHV trails that I work on. In fact, the trails that I referred to within the Bears Ears Monument proposal are motorcycle single track and ATV trails, which the state has not claimed through RS-2477. Also, the Sioux attorney asked what I'm willing to compromise on. Well, the PLI discussion draft proposes to close some valuable OHV trails, which I'm willing to concede in order to practice what I preach. Sincerely, Cliff Kuntz. And again, he's executive director of Ride With Respect. Uh, off-highway vehicle uh, group there in in Moab. Thanks for that, Cliff. Uh, Ronnie uh, wrote in, uh, back in, on email, says, Excellent show today, UPR, way better than KUER's vapid interview with Mike Noel yesterday. Thanks for that, Ronnie. And then we had an email come in uh, this morning. This is from Tim. Greetings. I'm a Utah expat living just over the border in Colorado and out of broadcast range. I'm very interested in hearing the last half hour of yesterday's Access Utah and the Utah Public Lands Initiative. It's currently not available on the web listen link or in the podcast. It ends after the first full hour, just after the Chaffetz interview. Uh, I wonder if it might be possible to post the last half hour separately, repost the broadcast uh, podcast. Uh, um, just point out to Tim and anybody else who perhaps had some confusion on that, the second part is just a couple of paragraphs down. You just have to scroll down a little bit. And to make it even easier, we'll uh, put that right next to part one. So parts one and two are on the website. Uh, thanks for that. Uh, he says, a great show. I'm a regular podcaster, and thank you for the fine public affairs work you do to keep Utahns informed. That's Tim. Thanks for those. And uh, keep those coming. As I mentioned, upraccess at gmail.com or go to our website, upr.org. Welcome now to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. John Palfrey, chairman of the Digital Public Library of America and a director of Harvard University's Berkman Center for Internet and Society, recently told the Deseret News that he's been struck by the number of times people tell him that they think libraries are less important than they were before now that we have the Internet and Google. He says he thinks just the opposite. Libraries are more important, not less important, both as physical and virtual entities than they've been in the past. John Palfrey is author of the new book, Bibliotech, Why Libraries Matter More Than Ever in the Age of Google. And he joins me for the hour to discuss the future of the library. John Palfrey is head of school at Phillips Academy in Andover, Maryland. He also serves as chairman of the Board of Trustees at the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation. And as I mentioned, chairman of the Board of Directors at the Digital Public Library of America. Uh, John Palfrey, it's a pleasure to welcome you to Access Utah. Thanks. Thank you, Tom. Thank you so much for having me. Just one note, Andover's in Massachusetts, where it's very snowy today, as opposed to Maryland. Mar oh, so I, are, I'm I did. I'm to be coming to you from here. I did see the M.A. 
It, and, right, it's very confusing. And, and that is Massachusetts. I'll probably get an email from my sister who lives in Maryland uh, saying, uh, <laughs> duh, you got that wrong. Okay, Andover, Massachusetts. Uh, by the way, before we get into that, uh, you've been at Harvard, right? I you've have, been the yes. director of library there. We're coming to Andover, exactly. I was, uh, I was a law professor and I was um, a vice dean of Harvard Law School, and part of that responsibility was, uh, was um, being the library director, which was a ton of fun. Uh, but now you're over at Phillips Academy. Tell me about a little bit about Phillips Academy, what, when, what's your role there? Phillips Academy is a completely wonderful school. I'm the, I'm the head of school, which is basically the principal of a high school, and it's a, uh, it's a residential uh, boarding school for 1,100 kids, and we have kids from all over the country, including Utah, um, and all over the world, actually. It's a, um, a school that's been uh, around for 238 years. It was uh, founded uh, two years into the, the American Revolution in 1778. Um, it's a wonderful, uh, both traditional school in the sense that it has a very strong um, uh, commitment to academic excellence and uh, has a, a really terrific liberal arts program. And it's also, I think, a school where a ton of innovative things are happening and lots of um, uh, new experiments and how teaching and learning are, uh, are unfolding in a digital age. And we've got just wonderful kids. Uh, so why go from Harvard Libraries to to essentially the, the you know, it's a, it's a high-class high school, but it's a, <laughs> it's a high school, right? <laughs> Amazing high school. Uh-huh. Well, these, I mean, part, partly it's just we really have extraordinary young people here and extraordinary uh, faculty colleagues. Um, and certainly I loved my work at Harvard, but, um, but I think um, the school known also as Andover really has a, a very special place in the firmament of American secondary schools. And um, I think it's a, a place where really extraordinary education happens. So I'm I am blessed to have had the chance to work at Harvard, and I am certainly blessed to, to be at Andover today. Uh, you're still involved with Berkman Center for Internet and Society? Yes, absolutely. My, my research home at Harvard. Yeah, interesting. A lot of interesting issues um, being treated there. I want to get to the, the library, of course, um, and I'm, I'm throwing this out to our listeners, opening the phone lines and email. Love to hear what your experience with the library was growing up. Uh, how do you use the library today? Have there been changes, and, and what do you think should be the future? of uh, the library. I have, I have fond memories of my hometown library, Uinta County Library in, in Vernal. Um, you know, many hours there and uh, many books, uh, you know, taken out of that library. Um, and I still remember the first book wrapped in plastic that I was able to take home from my elementary school library. I, th- I think a lot of us, uh, John Palfrey, have fond memories, at least, of libraries. Thank you, Tom. Absolutely. And actually, I very much hope that your, your listeners will call in and, and give comments about why they think libraries are so important in their communities. I think it is a, a crucial part of the story is how strongly we feel about the importance of libraries in our own lives. And I think many of us have, have those very, very fond memories of the first time maybe you walked into a library and you had that sense of wonder that sweeps over you as you think about, oh my gosh, think of all this knowledge and all these exciting things to, to discover. And that, you know, often the library is the physical place where that happens and the librarians are often the people who, who uh, open up our eyes to that. I think for many people, libraries are uh, a warm place to go on a cold afternoon after school or a, or a cool place maybe on a hot summer day. Uh, there are places where maybe you learn something that you otherwise um, didn't know how to do. So for me, the, um, going into a library as a 12-year-old, that's where I took a course on babysitting. It allowed me to get my first official paycheck <laughs> because people hired me as a babysitter. So people gather skills there, and I think today that often has to do with computers and, and the skills that we need to thrive in a digital age. Um, so lots of people have different, different memories of libraries, but they just, just have played such a crucial role in so many people's lives. And I think we've, in a, in a sense, forgotten how important they are. 
Mm-hmm. I have fond memories of the bookmobile as well. You know, uh, include that in the discussion. I remember my family would drive it. We were closer, actually, to the library than bookmobile. But I, I don't know, for whatever reason, we'd pack all the kids in the car and, you know, drive out to the rural areas of Uinta County and find the bookmobile. And I, I don't know, maybe that was a little easier for the parents. I'll have to ask my or mom about that. Maybe it was cool and you liked, the, you liked <laughs> the idea of it. Yeah, maybe so. And I, I certainly did love the idea. You'd, you'd get in this, essentially, this big van and there'd be there were these rows of books and it was very cool. Um, but then changes have come, of course. Um, for example, you talk about this, this resonated with me. You go to a university library today and there are a bunch of young people there uh, studying or doing whatever they're doing. Very few of them are actually accessing the books on the shelves. It's true. My experience both as a, uh, a library director at Harvard and now as the head of a high school, when you walk into a library, it's full of students. And, and we, one of the great things when people worry about education in America, certainly there are places where kids just want to study and they, they spend their time uh, in environments like libraries, uh, cheek by jowl with one another, and, and they are uh, learning at a great pace. But, but it's quite right that the, the activities that students do in libraries have changed somewhat. Uh, it's, it's not to say that kids don't ever check out books or don't ever check out uh, movies or audio files and so forth, but they don't do as much of the, um, the kind of reaching up into the stacks as they, they once did, and they're not as reliant on, on the, that mode of getting information. But they are often working with their computers right there and accessing just as much information, if not more. They are, uh, they're reading uh, probably just as much, if not more, uh, through different means. Um, but, they, but they often have a you know, different use pattern. And I think that's one of the challenges that libraries have faced in the last uh, few decades, which has been to say, we know that people still need the resource of the library, but the way in which they're accessing information has changed some. And, and many librarians, just to be clear, have made that transition beautifully. They're, they're extremely vibrant and effective libraries. But there are others that have really struggled with that transition. And, and sometimes in those communities where there is that struggle, um, they have gotten less support. And I think one of the reasons I wrote this book called Bibliotech was, was to write it for the rest of us who are, who are not librarians, but who just love and support libraries and should support libraries through this transition, which I think, I think libraries will come out of it just fine. You do think they'll come out of it? Okay. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. no, for sure. Mm-hmm. And, and I think part of it has to do with um, where you started, which is to say that many people have such a commitment to libraries and recognize their value um, that I think you know, common sense, good sense will prevail. Uh, I think libraries play such an essential role in our democracy, and I think that we are, I'm an optimist in the sense, I think as we, um, when, when we sometimes look at a Congress that has struggled to make decisions, we, have, we get frustrated with our democratic systems, I think we will turn back to thinking about what are the core democratic institutions, and I think libraries and schools and journalism are all part of that, and, and I, I think we will, um, we will recognize the importance uh, of these institutions and support them. I hope that's not a naive idea, but, but I really believe it. Um, I also think that many librarians have figured out the, the story here and figured out the code that says, if we can align libraries with the missions of our communities in a variety of ways and to support lots of different things that people need, whether that's an immigrant coming to the country and needing to uh, learn a new language, or it's somebody who is a job seeker. Um, maybe it's an older person who doesn't have access to uh, the web in the same way that, that other people do, or digital devices, and, and providing them um, uh, with resources. I think as we think about what those uh, alignments are between libraries and communities, um, I think that their, uh, the support with libraries will, will only grow over time. But, but we ha- I think we have to make a strong case for libraries in order to ensure that's so. Uh, so I would think for many people, maybe at or near the top of that list, a case for libraries would be, uh, you mentioned, 
a, a vital institution in our democracy. I wonder if you could expand on that. Where, where, and you mentioned alongside journalism and others, of course, journalism also under attack, and newspapers are, are threatened in this digital age. But, but libraries as a as a key institution in our, our democracy. Well, I think libraries are essential to our democracy on many levels. I think one is actually as physical spaces in our towns, and this is something we just shouldn't take for granted. I think as as people have the tendency in a digital age to be more isolated from one another, to be using their devices perhaps at home or um, or by themselves. I think we need places where people will actually come out into uh, what we used to call the commons, to come out into civic space, into public space. And if you think about it, many of those public spaces have been replaced by commercial spaces. I don't know if it's true where you live, but certainly a Starbucks in, in my town or um, other places that are commercial or wonderful gathering places where people come together. But I think it's actually very important that we have non-commercial. Uh, we actually have public spaces where people come and talk about ideas and connect around ideas. Um, and I think community centers play some of that role. But I think libraries, by virtue of organizing people's interests around ideas and topics and, and civic life, um, I think they play an important role in, in that sense. I think, secondly, it is not the case that everybody has equal access to information um, in a digital age. So we've worried a lot about the digital divide, the sense that not everybody has a fast broadband connection to their home. Um, we worry a lot about the fact that information is increasingly being something that you, you need to pay for uh, when you're going online. So if you are um, looking for e-books and you can afford what Amazon offers and others, that's fine. But it's very important, I think, that people have um, both a, an on-ramp to technological systems as well as access to materials. And if libraries weren't a free place for everybody to get information, I think that would be a negative for democracy. Uh, and I think as, as we struggle with growing income inequality in our country, that ensuring that it's not about how much money you have uh, in terms of your ability to get access to information and skills that you need to thrive in a democracy. And libraries have been a really important counterweight, I think, to that inequality um, you know, throughout their history. And I think, that, I think that's yet another reason why they're pretty central to, to democratic systems. So I could go on and on, but I think libraries just play a crucial role. And I think they are, as I mentioned, alongside schools and alongside journalism. These are institutions that we need, I think, um, to help people be great citizens and, and be great democratic actors. Is there, so physical space, but is there, what do you think the role of libraries in the digital space is? So in the digital space, I think libraries um, have a, a role to play that, that is obvious on one level today, but there's also so much potential that's not obvious uh, going forward. And so I think, I think really there, there are two things libraries need to focus on. One, in the obvious sense, some people do need access to the Internet and can't afford it and don't, don't have high-speed connections and so forth. And, and I think libraries, thanks to the uh, funding from the Gates Foundation and the federal government and others, um, many libraries have over the last couple of decades become the places in their community where people can go and get, get access through an on-ramp onto the Internet. And I think, I think that's essential. Um, so that's, that's kind of a starting place. A second, second part of that, that uh, current and obvious area has to do with digital materials. So uh, many people increasingly like to read books on an electronic device. And if what we think of libraries as doing is providing books to people, um, I think it's important that libraries provide electronic books as well as physical objects to people. And um, that's actually a relatively tricky thing. We can come back to the, the, the e-book uh, publishing issue. But I think libraries need to be places that actually provide digital materials uh, to people. Um, and then the non-obvious has to do with what I think libraries could do in a digital age and, and increasingly are. Um, you mentioned uh, something called the Digital Public Library of America. Um, 
which I used to be the, the uh, board chair of, have been very involved in. Um, the DPLA is a uh, it's an effort across the country to create a digital library for for the nation, and it involves digitizing materials. So it could be um, could be uh, ancestry records um, that you might find uh, in uh, a local collection. It might be um, historical uh, records from a particular town. It might be uh, images that are that are in a particular archive. Um, but as we digitize all these materials and make them available, um, we're creating it as a national resource where um, anybody can access it and um, create new connections and learn new things. And it's actually an uh, absolutely fascinating project. I hope people will go uh, online to it. It's at dp.la. Um, it's increasingly got the collections of the big national uh, libraries as well, so the um, National Archives and the Smithsonian, um, some things from the Library of Congress, um, the New York Public Library, Harvard University Library. Um, as things get digitized, they're getting put into uh, this national resource. And, and I think uh, the sky's the limit in terms of what libraries can be in a digital era if we, uh, if we create these new platforms uh, in this way. And we'll have a link to the Digital Library of America uh, up on our website as well. Yeah, very interesting project. We want to follow up on that as well. Uh, before we go to break here, um, I want to set up a discussion in the next segment um, about threats to the library and how we overcome those. I wonder if you'd tell me the story, um, kind of this in a talk you were giving, I believe. Um, I think you were in the library in Andover. And uh, it's this is a contest between Siri and and the reference librarian. Yes, absolutely. So I, I, one of the ways in which I did this book was to sit in, in public libraries and research libraries uh, around the world as I was writing it. And one day I was in our local library, and the, the time that I like to sit in libraries best is a little after 3 o'clock because often kids are spilling into the library right after school. And uh, sure enough, I was there one day, and, and a young person was uh, starting to do her, her homework and said um, into the smartphone that she was holding, she said, um, Siri, what does terminal velocity mean? <laughs> um, and Siri did not have an answer for it, which I thought was kind of wonderful. But three or four feet away was a, a wonderful reference librarian who I was quite sure not only could have given her the answer, but even better probably could have given her a way to get the answer uh, somewhere in the library. Um, and that's not to say that at some point Siri won't figure out how to answer all these reference questions, but it really is to say that, that even today, even with things as wonderful as the things that Google and, and Apple and others are producing, um, the human involvement in libraries is so important. It's interesting. I, I, love, I love that story. Uh, it's interesting that the, the kid, you know, would ask Siri. He or she is in the library, but he or she is asking Siri. So that's exactly, an indication exactly. where, where kids are these yeah. days. Yeah. Uh, let's take a break. When we come back, um, I want to talk about uh, threats and, and the, this uh, presumption on the part of many. And you've gotten this. I'll have you tell the story about uh, you say this is one reason you wrote the book. People encounter you at parties, find your head of a library, and you have a conversation. And, and the assumption is that with Google and the Internet, libraries are going to fade away. And your premise, of course, is that they're more important than ever. I want to talk about the threats and how we overcome them following this break. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Utah Humanities, proudly celebrating its 40th anniversary, empowering Utahns to improve their communities through active engagement in the humanities. Details at utahhumanities.org. Did you know that the damage brought on by Alzheimer's disease may begin years or even decades before you begin to show signs of memory problems? That is why it is never too early to start making healthy lifestyle changes. Heart-healthy behavior can also significantly reduce the risk of Alzheimer's disease. You can start now doing things that would be good for you anyway, like maintaining healthy weight, eating right, getting regular exercise, managing stress, 
and nurturing healthy relationships. It also helps to get enough sleep. And of course, your risk to both your heart and your brain is lower if you don't smoke. This segment of Did You Know That? has been brought to you by our members and the Emma Eccles Jones College of Education and Human Services, committed to mentoring tomorrow's educators, researchers, and clinicians, located on campuses in Logan and 26 other sites throughout Utah. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're talking about libraries, specifically the future of the library. John Palfrey is with me. He is author of a new book, Bibliotech, Why Libraries Matter More Than Ever in the Age of Google. He says that uh, he's been approached by people who uh, encounters many people uh, who say in the age of Google and Internet, uh, libraries uh, will be fade in importance. Uh, he says the opposite is, is true, that uh, they're even more important than ever. And uh, along with talking with John Palfrey, I'd love to hear from you. What was your experience with the library growing up? How do you use the library today? And has the way you use the library changed? What should the future of the library be? And we have our first caller, who is Sherry in St. George. Sherry, glad you called. Go ahead with your question or comment. Hi. Um, love the library. I have always loved the libraries. But there, I, I did want to bring up one issue about them, and I am not against homeless people. I'm for homeless people. Although I'm not homeless, who knows what could happen in the future. But I do notice it seems to be a um, converging point because it is a public space for homeless people and even have been at different libraries here in Utah where I've noticed people living in their motorhomes. Now, it's personally... I don't feel afraid. I have been in a couple of other cities where I have been afraid of some of the people that hang around and um, some of the way that they're dressed. They're not bathing. They're just smelly. What do you do about that? Or yeah. is there anything that can be done about that? Yeah, yeah good point. I've, uh, I've encountered that as well. I've heard from people uh, that this is it's, – it's a public space, of course, and, and, and everybody is, is welcome. Uh, so how does everybody get along there? Uh, John Palfrey, what do you think? Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Sherry, for, for calling in and for your support of libraries. You, you certainly are touching on one of the things that I think is hardest for public librarians uh, to handle, which is how do you ensure that the library is a welcoming space to everyone, including those who are homeless and those who haven't had access to a shower recently, that kind of thing, while also ensuring that those who, who might be uh, you know fearful of, of um, uh, being around large groups of homeless people can can actually take advantage of the library. So I think one of the things that libraries have done effectively is to um, is to try to uh, ensure that there there are safe spaces and spend a lot of time um, figuring out how they can partner with other institutions around, such as the um, social workers and others who can uh, connect with people. Um, certainly, there is there are the times when when libraries have to work work with police if people do become disorderly and so forth. But I but I do think that in a way libraries our microcosms of our democracy in the sense that, that we all have to figure out how, um, how in public spaces we do, we do coexist. And, and certainly libraries are, again, one of those few spaces that are truly public in our, in our towns and our cities. And I think we have to, I think we, it's, it's on all of us to figure that out. Um, and, uh, you know, one, one of the approaches I think that libraries have, have tended to take is to have different kinds of environments within the library, so different kinds of zones. Um, and in that sense, there might be zones that are places where people might be more comfortable um, lounging for large areas of time and other places where people are more likely to be studying or more people likely to be 
um, using digital devices or increasingly things like maker spaces where people are actually making things in libraries. Um, and I think that zoning effect also can help um, help with the issue that you're that you are raising. But but it's not a simple one, and it, and it really does it does um, consume a lot of the time and energy certainly of uh, public librarians. And we should we should give them our support. Uh, sure, are you still with us? Yes. Um, I wonder have have uh, have you talked to you know friends librarians there? Is there are uh, others uh, proposing solutions here? I don't notice the problem here in St. George, but I have been to some other um, cities, and I will, uh, and they are in California, which is close to us, and um, bigger cities, and it is a very big problem, and people have complained about it. I feel I have a lot of feelings for uh, some of the homeless people. I have a sister that lives on the street of San Francisco, has for 40 years. Where do you go when there are people like that? I, I don't know what the answer is to that. I'm just bringing up the idea of it is a public place, and I do notice that people are using it as um, parking space for their motor homes, and, and, I, and I recognize the motor homes in different towns, and that has been in Utah. Right. Okay. Thank you, Sherry. Appreciate you bringing that uh, issue up. You're very, very welcome. Uh, so, John Palfrey, the, um, I guess this this is, uh, I don't want to say the downside of democracy. <laughs> I don't want to, you know. It's one of the challenges of democracy, right? The challenge that's, of, of democracy. Downside, it's, so. it's everybody together. That's one illustration yep. of that. It's everybody together at the library, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I do, you know, I think one of the things that it points out is is how challenging the job of a librarian can be. Uh, particularly in a, in a big city environment, and and I, I appreciate Sherry's point that it's it's different in certain small towns and so forth. But you know, I think a librarian not only has to be someone who is uh, great with with materials and and knows how to uh, to order books and to make them available and and to direct people to resources and so forth, but they also often are social workers and they have to be um, you know keeping people safe and they do lots of different lots of different functions in uh, in these quite complex uh, jobs that they have. I guess this is a further illustration that sometimes. We don't want to all be together as a democracy, but I guess That's it's a, it's a very it, good point. It is important to. Uh, I guess this is an advantage. Uh, you know, glass half full here. We, we we ought to encounter each other. Yes, I think that's right. I think I think it is, and 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 figure out how we do it as opposed to expect somebody else to to do the sorting for us. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if you would uh, tell us. Uh, you have this this way you opened. I think chapter one in your book. You had a recurring conversation at, at parties and such. One of the spurs you said uh, to, to writing this book. Yes, thank you. And Tom, thank you. I should say how, how grateful I am that you clearly read the book with, with such care. Thank you for that. And when somebody uh, in your previous session, thank you for doing a non-vapid interview. I'm, I'm very grateful to be on a non-vapid interview. <laughs> we with we, you we try to be non-vapid, yes. I think that's one of the goals here. Yeah. That's a good tagline, I think, yeah, for, yeah. for your show. Um, uh, yes, yeah, so the, one, one of the spurs for writing the book uh, called Bibliotech was uh, the conversations that I had over and over again, and it was backyard barbecues or cocktail parties, and I had just been appointed uh, to a new job in, at Harvard Law School, and, and my friends knew that I was a lawyer and had been a, a law professor, and that, uh, they would say, what are you up to? And I said, well, I, I'm um, uh, becoming the director of the library. And they'd say, oh, that's kind of interesting, but you know, aren't, aren't libraries going away now that we have Google? And then they, they turn to me and say, oh, yeah, and you are interested in the digital stuff, so you're the digital guy. You're going to get rid of the library. Now it all makes sense. And then they'd be headed off to the bar or, or to the um, to the uh, barbecue and to grab a, a burger or whatever. And I'd say, no, 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 that's not the point at all. And I'd be chasing after them, and they never would want to talk anymore. So I figured I had to write a book to uh, to make this case. 
Um, the flaw in that argument is, of course, if they didn't want to talk to me about it for three minutes, they probably didn't want to read the 200-page book about it right. either. But um, in any event, I felt it was important to make this case because it just stood for, it stood to me for a proposition that I think much of the time we're not thinking deeply enough about the importance of libraries. And I really felt that the the threats that some libraries are facing are worth putting in front of public attention. I'm, I'm really grateful for you doing the show in this way. I think one of the things that librarians have faced is, is uh, certainly budget cuts. And this is you know, no surprise of social services and, and public services in our country have been under budget, uh, budget pressure. And that's true for the police, and it's true for fire, and it's true for um, schools and all the essential services. So it's not, not, uh, libraries are not alone. But there are many places in which libraries have seen their budgets cut or their hours reduced. Uh, many places where, uh, in big cities where, where branch libraries get closed uh, because of lack of funding. Uh, certainly one of the places where it's, it's pinched the most is school libraries. Uh, Tom, you mentioned in the top of the hour your experience coming home with a wrapped book from a school library, and that's a really important part of the library experience. If you look at America, um, there are about 125,000 libraries of various sorts. 100,000 of those are actually school libraries, um, and those are um, very, very often uh, highly correlated with, with good school outcomes. So if you have a great school library, you're very likely to have good school outcomes. Um, and yet those are some of the, the quickest things we cut. So libraries, I think, because people have assumed that they're less important during the age of Google, have suffered from these cuts. And I think it's actually really important that we recognize libraries are not that expensive on a relative basis, and they really pay off in, in lots of different ways, and, and we ought to support them. Um, I went to Amazon and uh, read some comments. I don't know if you read the. Do you read the comments? Uh, I try on, not to. I did read the very first one, and then and it was okay. a negative comment, and they really disagreed with that. So I've I've decided not to focus on them. Well, there are a lot of glowing comments. I'll just let you know, and and a lot That's of people nice agreeing with you. There's only you know uh, just uh, two or three that uh, disagreed. I want to, re <laughs> but I, I want to read a paragraph from one who disagreed with your premise. Oh, good. Uh, to to you know, and and then launch into a, a fuller defense of of libraries. Uh, this is David on Amazon responding to. Uh, John Palfrey's book, Bibliotech. He says, saving public libraries is like saving the newsreel before the feature film. When people had no other way to get visuals, the newsreel was hot. When information was nowhere to be found, the public library was a godsend. And so his, I guess his point, he's, he's agreeing with the assumption that some people have, uh, that Google, Internet, you can get the information other ways, uh, and so the library is, is going to fade away. What, uh, why do you think it's not, and why do you think it's still you know, even more important? Well, thank you. Thank you for channeling the, the Amazon comments, because I haven't, haven't peeked at that one myself. Um, but it's a, it's a great example, which says, you know, I think it's an assumption that because we have the Internet, um, we have everything we need when it comes to information and knowledge. And I think it's just, it's just plainly not true. First of all, not everything, of course, has been digitized, and um, I think that's a, something we need to, need to work on. Um, not everything on the Internet is free. So if, if, you're, if you're seeking to access, for instance, a book or, um, or uh, certain materials that you have to pay for. It could be a, a song or a movie or otherwise. Those are um, things that you do need to pay for. And I think if we go to a world in which only those who have the discretionary income to pay for a book or a movie can get it on Amazon, I think that's I think it's a huge, huge mistake. And I, I love uh, bookstores and, and uh, use the Internet extensively, but, um, but I also think it's, it's really important that people who don't, don't af can't afford it can, can get access to things. I also think it's, there's, a, there's a lovely quality to the fact that we um, don't need to own every item, and in fact, we can share some of them in, in our society. I think that's actually a, a really important point, and libraries um, have that quality. So in essence, what we're doing is pooling our resources in a community to have a bigger collection than any of us could, could possibly have. And I think even in a digital era, that's important, and, and libraries uh, carry that out. Um, but I'd also go to the, the point we 
were discussing before your previous break, which is I think actually that libraries are related to journalism uh, and to schools in this way, which is if you say because there's the Internet, anybody can get access to anything that happened, we therefore don't need newspapers or we don't need um, thoughtful radio programs or we don't need thoughtful uh, television journalism, I think that's crazy. Um, I think a lot of what we need is, in fact, people to focus on and interpret what's going on, to do good interviews, to, um, to do investigative journalism, to spend the time to think about something for an hour or for a period of time that then reinterprets it and, and engages people in a conversation. If the entire point is we just let people Google away and then figure out, okay, what's going on in Utah today? Um, first of all, they won't find things that are in-depth. They won't find actually those things that we ought to pay for that the journalists do. Um, and second of all, there, will, there, there won't be necessarily that productive engagement um, that these institutions like libraries and, and, uh, and uh, 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 journalistic institutions actually create for us. Let's take a break. When we come back, uh, I want to talk about um, this problem. Um, I guess a lot of people see this as a solution. Um, the issue, I'll put it that way, of ebooks, digital books. And I, I, I'm conflicted on this. I, I still remember that the thrill that I got with that physical book that I took home from the, my elementary school library and continued to have for many years. But I'm increasingly purchasing books uh, from Google, reading them from the cloud. But in that case, I should put purchase in, in air quotes, you know. So I want to talk about that and how that relates to, to libraries more following the break. Go to upr.org and find out how you can volunteer during UPR's next pledge drive. Some of the top reasons include getting to meet and work with the staff behind the scenes, you get to hang out with other like-minded, passionate public radio listeners, and it's good to get out of the house and help out in the community. Plus, there's the coffee and hot chocolate from Cafe Ibis. To schedule your volunteer opportunity, just go to upr.org. Thanks. The Supreme Court weighed in on clean air rules the other day, but the justices aren't the ones making the power. It's not like you take your furnace and put it on steroids. You're trying to heat your house. We're trying to take care of two million homes. I'm Kai Rizdal. How power plants are warming up to new clean energy regulations. That's next time on Marketplace. Join us tonight at 6.30 here on Utah Public Radio. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. My guest is John Palfrey. He's founding president of the Digital Public Library of America. He's a director of Harvard University's Berkman Center for Internet and Society and author of the book Bibliotech, Why Libraries Matter More Than Ever in the Age of Google. We're talking about the future of the library on the program uh, today. Uh, many of us have very fond memories of libraries, but uh, I think uh, over time, for some of us at least, the, our use of the library, the way we use it, has changed and some have made the assumption in the age of Google and Internet that the library will just fade away. John Palfrey says that's not so. They're more important um, nowadays than, the, than even before. Um, John Palfrey is head of school at Phillips Academy in Andover, Massachusetts. And you're welcome to join this conversation. Hope that you will. would love to know how your use of the library, your public library, has changed. Um, how, how your reading has changed. I want to get into that topic here. The number is 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495, toll-free anywhere you are. And uh, you can join us by email to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at uh, gmail.com. So, John Palfrey, uh, first of all, to get us into this, uh, you know, the digital issue and e-books, uh, 
I don't know um, what your attitude is and people you talk to. Are you still reading physical books or are you migrating more over to ebooks? Thank you, Tom. You know, I, I am one of the people who probably occupies a middle ground, which is I, I love physical books. I love the touch of them. I, I have two small children. I love to read them physical books. I sort of can't, it's hard to imagine reading them a digital book, although I have. Um, and I think many people still like the book, touch of physical books for what people call the three Bs, the bed, the bath, and the beach, um, certain experiences. At the same time, I'm a big fan of the Internet and use it extensively and create on it and so forth, but I also really like um, using my iPad. I like uh, the uh, Amazon Kindle interface. Uh, if I'm traveling in particular and I've got a, a very heavy suitcase or bag um, to have a relatively small device and have a huge number of books I can go to, um, that's very appealing too. And um, so what I've seen is that, that there still is uh, a, a large group of people who likes uh, physical books. There's a growing number of people who likes e-books. But I think the fastest growing group is actually those who like both for different, different purposes. And it's been really interesting to see that particular world emerge. It's not one or the other. Um, I often think about it as a hybrid world um, or a digital plus world in the sense that things are created as a digital file first, but then we render them in lots of different, uh, in different ways. So think about the newspaper that was created this morning. No doubt a, a journalist typed that up on a, a Word document. Um, and it goes on the web or it goes on a, a mobile app, but it also gets printed out for some people who like it in a hard copy. And I think we're going to be in this hybrid digital plus environment uh, for some time. Beyond that period of hybridity, um, do, do you think it's going to go all digital? And I guess maybe a good testing point would be your, your, your students. How do they consume? Yeah, it's, it's a books. really interesting question. Um, I don't think the switch is happening as fast as some futurists imagined it would. In other words, going to all digital. I think the physical book has been more persistent than most people um, predicted a few years ago. In part, it's because they're beautiful, and people actually like beautiful objects. Um, in part, because uh, I think some people you know, really do uh, enjoy the tactile experience of books and so forth. Um, one thing I've been a little surprised at, I, I teach a, a U.S. history class at, at Andover um, to a group of uh, 12 or 14 kids each year, and um, we give them the option of purchasing the book itself, which is a little over $100. It's Eric Foner's uh, really great history of the uh, United States called Give Me Liberty. Um, or they can get for about a third of the price, they can get a digital version of it. Um, and uh, almost to a young person, they bring in the physical object. So I think there's only been one student in the last two years out of, say, 25 kids who's actually bought the digital version um, I think when I ask them about it, it's about the annotation possibilities. They rather write in the margin of a physical book. Um, somehow they still see it um, and visualize the, the information a little bit better in the physical book than on the, uh, on the smaller device. Um, so I think even, even with young people today, I think um, the, the physical book has been uh, surprisingly persistent. Um, I, you know, I do think over time digital uh, interfaces just continue to get better and better and better. I think that annotation topic of writing in the margins. I think digital uh, devices will get better at that. I think um, the, the interface will get, will get lovelier and crisper over time. So, you know, I think it, it probably will go all digital for most things uh, over time. But, but I, I would imagine that some physical books will persist. Now, when we bring this issue to libraries, I think ownership become, becomes an, an issue, right? With a physical book, library could purchase the book and then lend it out to whoever they wanted to as many times as they wanted to. The rules are a bit different with digital that's exactly right. It's, a, it's such an interesting point, which is we've gotten used to libraries being places that can own objects, and it's a, it's a particular part of the copyright law, which is called the first sale doctrine, and it basically says 
if you buy a physical object of a of a book or a copyrighted work, you can do anything you want with it. So you can go bring it to a secondhand bookstore. You can, as a library, you can lend it and so forth. If you felt like you could tear it up and you know uh, turn it into something else or or uh, throw it away or whatever, um, with the digital object, you don't have the same set of of rights. So um, libraries, when they're acquiring digital materials, most of the time they're renting rather than buying. Um, so if you extrapolate out a couple decades, and let's just imagine that you're right, Tom, that it goes um, all digital or close to all digital, uh, one of the fears that, that many of us have is, what if we get to a place where libraries don't actually own any collections, um, and therefore we as the public don't own any collections? It's only held uh, in private hands through these, these licenses. Um, it turns out that publishers who are wonderful and, and provide an important service in our, uh, in our economy, publishers don't tend to keep things um, in the same way that libraries do or archives do. Um, so one of the fears is if we're in an all-digital environment and libraries actually can't acquire and hold um, for the long term, preserve these items um, in a digital era, we actually could be, could be in real trouble. And so we've got to figure out a way to, to head off that future. I want to uh, fit in a couple of emails that have come in. Uh, would love to get your experiences with libraries, how your use of libraries is changing, and what you think the future of libraries should be. Um, and you can join us by email to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com, or uh, by telephone, toll-free call 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495. This email has come in to us from Glenn. He says, an, an anecdote from my younger years. My mom was an avid reader. Her biggest vice in the reading genre was Harlequin romances. Mm. She uh, bought them monthly, then donated them to either the bookmobile or the library. At one point, she donated a book and found out that it had been overdue for 11 years. She had somehow checked it out and forgotten about it. How she was able to check out books during that time was lost on me, but uh, she had the record for longest overdue in Duchesne County. That's awesome. <laughs> Thanks. I love it. Thanks, Glenn. She'd buy the books and donate them. And this, this, one, <laughs> this one happened to be an overdue book. Um, and then this is from uh, Carla. She says, I'm so happy to hear this discussion. The free public lending library is one of, the, one of civilization's greatest gifts. I've been a card-carrying library-using member since first grade in 1960. It was a wonderful day when I was able to print my name and receive my own first library card. Reading enjoyment was my responsibility, and now I had access to what seemed like bazillions of books. Walls of floor-to-almost-ceiling books, shelves and shelves and shelves of wonderful stories and facts and friends in books. The Draper Library was located in one high-ceiling square room in Draper Park School. Library day at school was a highlight of my week. We sat bun bunched together on the floor as the librarian read to us a story. Madeline, Make Way for Ducklings, Aesop's Fables, The Three Little Pigs, craning our necks to see the pictures. And then she turned us loose. I love the sanctity, the rustling semi-quiet, the smells of books, dusty, sweaty kids, and spicy cinnamon smell of imagination, mingled with the colors of the bindings and the butterfly tummy excitement of choosing. Time stood still in the library. It still does, says Carla. I'm learning Spanish language now through my St. George Library's resources. Love to be there when story time is going on and applaud our library's literacy programs and summer reading programs for both children and adults. Just because it's available online doesn't mean people can read or even have electronic access. Long live this great gift of civilization. That's Carla. Very poetically put, uh, Carla. Thanks for that. Uh, John Poffrey, what do you think? Oh, my gosh, those were awesome. I think you should bottle them up and, and, uh, and share them, which I guess you're doing when you record this, this uh, session. and It'll be available for posterity, but I think both of those are, are wonderful memories, and, and Carla, certainly wonderful lyricism, and, and I think the, uh, 
it's always good to have a, a joke about overdue books on any session about libraries. So <laughs> right. It was really, really terrific, and and I think really hit hit all all those key points. Um, the only the only um, thing I might add is that I am hoping that we will create not just the nostalgia that we all have had um, for libraries, but also a new kind of nostalgia for kids um, as they're growing up in this increasingly digital world. And I think that that smell of uh, of musty books and um, and probably the sweaty bodies part is, is all, all going to be true as part of that nostalgia for kids. But I actually think also um, the, the creation of digital interfaces um, that come from the library and actually augment that experience, I think that's going to be quite important in terms of building the support for libraries for decades to come. Um, and so that's where I think a lot of the innovation and, and the exciting stuff that's happening in libraries is so important also to invest in. We have another caller, uh, Irene, calling us from Canada. Irene, uh, glad you called. Go ahead with your question or comment. Hi. Um, This is an emotional topic for me. Um, I have a lot of kids, and when we first moved to Alberta, it was a recession, and um, the library was a free space where we could access many, many things. And so I think... More than ever in this day and age, with what's been going on with the economy, that it's very important to keep programs out there that are free available. I have kids that um, are very successful. They don't have financial concerns, um, but they bring their kids to the library because that was just something that we did, like several times a week. We participated in all kinds of wonderful programs. And my children continue to bring their kids, like, right from six months up to participate in the programs. Uh, it is a community center. Um, and, yes, there are homeless people even here in Medicine Hat that frequent it. Um, and I just take my hat off to the librarians that very beautifully deal with whatever they get thrown at them. And I don't think libraries are on their way out. I agree. I think people need to embrace using both systems, digital and, and hard copies. Um, so there you go. Uh, Irene, thank you. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. Okay. Bye. John Paul, for another, another uh, uh, you know, plug for, for libraries from, from really, uh, really beautiful personal experience. Yeah. Irene, thank you. That was it's an incredible, incredible way to put it. And, and certainly the emotion in your voice underscores the importance, I think, that libraries play in people's lives and, and, and in a family's life and family's life over multiple generations. I really, I really couldn't, couldn't put it any better. So that, the, that emotional component, the, the, you know, the wonderful memories, um, as we mentioned earlier in the program, if we want to save libraries, probably going to have to tap into that. And uh, I hate to put, bring this back to crass in economic terms, probably going to have to I don't know. It's going to have to be more tax dollars, is it? It's going to have to be fundraising for libraries. What uh, is that a component here? The economic part of it? Sure. I, mean, I think the economic part of it is is a part of life in in all respects. And I think thinking about even nonprofit institutions, which libraries I think need to be, um, having a sustainability plan is is a crucial one. So, I mean, for my from for my part, I think it's just important that that communities pay for libraries. I think that it is a public good. I think states should contribute, and I think the federal government should contribute, and I think I think libraries just aren't that expensive compared to other things that we uh, we do pay for in, in public terms. So I don't I don't think one should say one has to raise taxes in order to have strong libraries. That seems to me um, creating a false choice. Um, but I but I also think that libraries do have a long history of philanthropy being a part of it, and that that is 
you probably know that the first public li- big public library in, in the world was the Boston Public Library in, in uh, around 1850. Um, so it's not actually that long of a of a history. Um, and the the people who supported that the, the city was helpful, but it really was a bunch of philanthropists who came together and said, "Let's have a public library." Um, you then have about 50 years later, or so you have Andrew Carnegie saying he's going to devote a lot of his wealth to to libraries, and and that resulted in thousands of libraries across the country um, because of Carnegie's gift. But he also said to towns, "If I give you this money and you follow a set of rules that I have, you then have to continue to support it over time." So it was a leveraging of private money um, with public money in that way. And I actually think that it it would be great if there were. Uh, individuals these days who have made a lot of money on the internet and and on uh, information and knowledge who would step up and say we're going to support this next generation of libraries and I think a capital infusion it would help do a lot of the research and development work about how libraries thrive in in a digital or digital plus era I think that I think philanthropists should play a big role in that though I think that the ongoing support of libraries should continue to come from uh, from communities and from from public money we just have about uh, three minutes left. Uh, you could get your quick comment or uh, or call in at 1-800-826-1495 or upraxcess at gmail.com. Love to hear your experiences with libraries and what you think uh, the importance of libraries are and the, and the future of libraries. Uh, John Palfrey, I wanted to get this another another comment from uh, Amazon. This one uh, doesn't slam you. This, <laughs> but this, but <laughs> thank you for that. But um, and and I want to emphasize again that the vast majority of the comments are are, are glowing and agree with you. Uh, this is, uh, he does uh, say that this is one thing Mr. Palfrey missed, and I, I thought there was an interesting take. I want to get your take on this. Um, he says, uh, the, the real value libraries used to deliver, and he goes on to say, this is Paul, by the way, on Amazon, history widely dispersed on paper is difficult to modify, but history centrally controlled in digital format is owned, quote-unquote, by some information authorities and thus subject to revision. We're part of the famous information age. Information very easy to access, but it's also highly vulnerable to hijacking. Any offensive PDF, JPEG, uh, HTM, etc. files can be modified or removed quite easily since their virtual embodiments can be centrally controlled. Uh, and he goes on to say that, uh, you know, history could be changed because these documents can be changed. I wonder if you think about, what do you think about that? It's an interesting point, and, and you're inspiring me to go read the, the comments on Amazon, which I probably should do and not, not hide my head in the sand. But, um, uh, I, you know, I, there is... There are two big things that libraries do. One is they uh, provide access to information and, and to knowledge, and the other is they preserve it. And, and that preservation piece is very, very important. Uh, I'm not totally convinced that the digital era is going to be less good as a time in terms of preserving materials. Um, I guess I agree with Paul uh, and his, his comment to say right now we're not as good at that. Um, I think that the, the idea that there's only one version of history, though, kind of misses a really big point, which is even if you could manipulate one document, one thing the Internet has done is it has shown that lots of people can actually contribute to the telling of a story, um, the ter- telling of a narrative, and create their own uh, materials. There's a, a sort of a, a production uh, quality to the Internet. So I'm, I'm less convinced that there's a risk that there's going to be one version of what the truth is um, on the Internet that then could be changed. I just don't think that's a huge risk. Um, but I do think that the big issue is that we need to figure out how do we preserve the digital future as well as we preserve the, the, the analog past. And, and that's a real issue. Uh, finally, just about a, a minute left. Um, in a best-case scenario, um, you know, fast-forward X number of years, what, what does the library look like? Oh, my gosh. I think the library looks like lots of different things for different communities, honestly. I think they will be beautiful spaces uh, that support uh, what, the, what people are doing uh, in those places and in those communities. And, and they will be inspiring places. They'll be places where people want to go and do things. 
Um, I think people will be in libraries to consume and enjoy information as they do today, but also to create information. Um, I think they'll be in, in libraries to come together and to talk about the most important issues of the day um, through innovative programming. Um, and I think they will. I think they will be as varied and diverse as our great country is, and 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 our and other countries around the world. So um, I think there's a hugely bright future for libraries. And I think we just have to be imaginative about it and and really grounded and recall the importance that these institutions play in our lives and in in the lives of our democracy. John Palfrey is uh, founding president of the Digital Library, uh, Public Library of America, and we'll have a link to that on our website. I urge people to go and check out that That's a very interesting uh, uh, library. Uh, he's the director of Harvard University's Berkman Center for Internet and Society and author of the book, Bibliotech, Why Libraries Matter More Than Ever in the Age of Google. John Palfrey, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Um, thank you. I really appreciate the time to talk about libraries with you. And uh, thanks to our listeners for responding. I appreciate uh, those uh, those questions and comments on today's uh, program. Coming up tomorrow, we have uh, the News Roundup show behind the headlines. And uh, then on Monday... Uh, it's university holiday. We will not be here with Access Utah, but we'll have a very interesting program from the America Abroad series on drones becoming more and more ubiquitous in our lives. That's on Monday. And uh, thanks for listening to Access Utah today. Game wardens in Maine have jurisdiction just like state troopers statewide, any crime, any time. But when it comes to violent crime, they really only deal with violence against, like, trout. Join us next time for more True Stories Told Live. This week, Zimbabwe, camping, goths, and grace. That's the Moth Radio Hour from PRX. Join us Saturday night at 6 on Utah Public Radio. Access Utah is a production of Utah Public Radio. You can listen to this episode or previous episodes of Access Utah anytime at upr.org, where you can find a link to subscribe to our podcast. This is Utah Public Radio, KUSR HD1 Logan, KUSK HD1 Vernal, KUSL HD1 Richfield, KUST HD1 Moab, KCEU Price, and KUSU FM HD1 Logan.